And we'd like to welcome back to Radio Brews News. First of all, I think we spoke to him in his capacity as a Moo Brew brewer. Then we spoke to him as part of Hot Products Australia. Now we speak to him as new dad, Owen Johnston. Welcome back to Radio Brews News. Thanks, mate, and uh, nice to be back. Excellent. No, it's good to have you back, mate, and uh, and being able to fit us into your busy schedule, which is, um, of course, uh, since me as a rival, has become that little bit more busy. So we certainly do appreciate it, mate. The um... and my already hazy thoughts are even more hazy now. <laughs> well, that's right. We'll uh, we'll do our best to kind of uh, get the pencil sharpened and uh, and your mind focused on uh, the uh, the issue at hand, which at the moment is the hop report, which has just come out. Uh, tell us a little bit about the background to it, and then uh, perhaps give us the Twitter version of the highlights. Sure thing. So. You know, every year uh, after after the Australian Harvest, HPA releases a, a, a crop report. Previously, we have uh, summed up somewhat the Australian conditions and the Australian outcomes. This year, we've departed a little bit from that, um, just as a bit of backstory about the crop report from HPA. It's now just primarily focused, we're just absolutely focused on HPA's results. We won't make assumptions or um, generalisations about the, the you know, growing conditions on other farms or or other um, outcomes. It's uh, time for us just to focus on uh, on us uh, and tell our story. So, the 2017 harvest, yeah, wrapped up in the first week of April. We're seeing a little bit, uh, you know, of a, a, an extended harvesting season with a later start and a later finish in the last few years. This one went all the way into April. Um, not that that's an issue, um, given our variety mix and the, the late harvesting varieties in there. The uh, expectations around this crop were quite high. We have, you know, increased planting, new gardens coming online. The growing conditions were wet at the start of the season, but really during the bulk of the season, the uh, growing conditions were good on both farms. So, yeah, we sort of had very high expectations coming into harvest. And certainly on a year-on-year basis, we delivered a 43% increase in total yield. So that is quite a bit. 43% year-on-year growth is is a lot. But bearing in mind that we got smashed by um, some weather events in 2016. So 2016's crop was knocked around somewhat. Still, in terms of delivering, uh, you know, on the promise of supply and quality products into uh, into breweries, it's nice to nice to be able to report such a significant increase year on year for the total yield of hop. Now, not that we want to stereotype or caricature the uh, the hop situation in in Australia, but uh, we we tend to kind of use Galaxy as as I guess the the yardstick or the you know the the measure by which we determine whether or not it's been a um, you know a, a good season or not. How's um, how's Galaxy come out this year? Yeah, so I mean it's not unjustified to uh, talk straight to Galaxy. It is our lead hop. In fact, uh, I think we grow something like 600 tons of Galaxy, and the next biggest is Ella at uh, Ella and Big Secret neck to neck around the 140 tons. So there is quite a gap between Galaxy and second and third. So, you know, when we talk about impact at harvest time and what's up and what's down, everyone's mind goes to Galaxy. Pleasingly, uh, Galaxy came in just above budget in Tasmania, which is um, which is nice and credit to the guys at Bushy. Uh, but unfortunately at Ross Trevor, Galaxy came in quite a bit down. Overall, Ross Trevor came in 18% under budget and uh, under our production forecasts and uh, and of course the galaxy is their major hop and so the most severely impacted variety unfortunately was galaxy so for those brewers out there who are looking to get their hands on galaxy if you've if you've already got dibs on it you'll be okay but uh for those wishing to perhaps discover the joys that is galaxy 
they might be disappointed? Yes, I guess the, I guess the message from us is, um, you know, based on our um, contract position and the way we manage our, our agricultural risk, we are able to supply all our contracts with brewers and distributors, but spot sales for Galaxy uh, may well prove quite challenging throughout the year. OJ, that, that's a message that I think you were trying to get out to, to brewers this time last year as well, was the importance of having your contracts locked away. Um, is that starting to sink in? I think quite pleasingly people are uh, listening and if the only message people are picking up is um, to have a conversation with your hop supplier, uh, whether your contract or not is, is um, about the particular fit with your business and, and your business's uh, you know, uh, planning and, and, and ability to uh, you know, consistently take raw material in like that, that's fine, it that's, uh, differs business by business. But I think overall, people are having much better conversations with their hop suppliers, and uh, you know the, the biggest risk for us as farmer and merchandiser of the finished hop product is that uh, if we don't know that your demand is out there, your your requirement for our hop is out there, we can't take steps to cater for it. And you know, whether that means packing a particular product type, or um, increasing or decreasing plantings, uh, you know, shifting the variety mix to account for changing trends and demand in the brewing end of the industry, you know, we're, we're flying blind. So we take up uh, a buffer, you know, let's say we, we forecast 100 units of production for a hop like Galaxy, we'll uh, contract up to say 85% and those last 15% will give us some buffer to account for the agricultural variation. And, uh, you know, so that's what's saved us this year. We've, del- we've delivered on all our contracts. But as I say, spot sales will be much more challenging. On the flip side, we run the same buffers on, on our other varieties. And when a variety comes in over, uh, over expectations, it means the spot market's quite healthy and there'll be ongoing availability for hops like this year, Big Secret, Enigma and Ella. You know, that's really quite pleasing for us as we try to uh, not uh, take the focus off Galaxy, but certainly diversify our offering, you know, in in step with our mission to present choice and variety to brewers. It's really pleasing to have some availability on some really nice hops like Enigma and, uh, and Vic and Ella. Do brewers have to be of a certain scale to be able to, you know, to enter into a contract? Not with us. Um, we, uh, you know, like I, I sort of say to people, we pack down to a five kilo box and we're happy to sell a five kilo box. Um, so if you can take one of them, we're happy to uh, to book your sale and, and have it on our radar to... Um, to deliver, you know, when uh, when you're ready. So, no, I don't think size is important. Um, I've got uh, very small, you know, sales, five, 20 kilos here and there, out quite a few years with the different small operations here in Australia. It's, it's really nice. It's, it, it gives us clarity, certainty. It gives us a reason to stay in touch. And, you know, frankly, um, that's the best way to make sure that our, uh, our performance as a supplier matches your needs as a buyer is to be in touch regularly and, and keep across what's happening in the brewery. OJ, you spoke a little while ago about the concept of variety, and I noticed that this year Helga, Willamette and Summer are having their last hurrah. Does that indicate that the particular styles of beer that those have been used traditionally in the past are perhaps not as popular, or are there better alternatives? Or uh, and, and secondly, what have, have those particular uh, varieties made way for? Yeah, nice one. So the um, let's talk to Willamette first. Obviously, that's an open market US variety. That was grown only to one contract 
requirement here in Australia. And uh, and as that contract requirement has ended, we simply don't see the need to grow that variety. So any availability for Willamette here, Australian-grown Willamette here, if through HPA was only as an outcome of our farm yield being greater than the contract requirement. So that was always a bit of an anomaly and, a, and you know, never really amounted to much uh, anyway. Um, so that one can go. Helga is an interesting case. Helga is actually a really good hop. It's an outcome of our breeding program during the sort of second phase of our breeding program where we were pursuing substitute varieties uh, for classic European. So in this case, uh, Helga, you know, if you thought Halitau middle through, you wouldn't be too far away. And, uh, and being able to present a, a Southern Hemisphere um, version of that certainly fit the bill for quite some time. But we think now, as we pursue the fully sort of differentiated hops, if you like, hops like Galaxy, a substitute, a variety with a substitution as its main purpose is um, is not really in keeping with a fully differentiated portfolio of, of offerings. So we're actually going to uh, encourage people to move back to the to the European varieties, which we have good availability on through our Barthas connections worldwide. Summer uh, is a little bit different again. Summer is also an outcome of our uh, breeding program looking for substitutable varieties, but it's actually got a little bit more uniqueness around its profile and has some fans out there. The trouble with Summer is uh, it's been around for quite some time now, longer than Galaxy, and it's never really gone past sort of the 25 to 30 tonne range where obviously some of our other hops have enjoyed much more demand than, than that. It's also a very patchy performer agronomically and it, it's proven too inconsistent to fulfil our supply promise around. So when we talk about contracting up to 85% of our expected yield, if the yield of a particular variety yo-yos around dramatically, you know, plus or minus more than the 15% we're accounting for, it becomes very hard to make supply promises around that year to year. It becomes very challenging. And especially on a small customer base, your opportunities for spot sales that will take up positive variance is quite hard. And of course, every time you have a negative variance, you're disappointing someone somewhere, which is not what we're about. So we've made a tough decision on summer and we're going to axe that one. Now, summed up, Willamette, Summer and Helga are making way for primarily Enigma. And although it might sound strange in a secondary sense, Galaxy as well. So we will be increasing Galaxy plantings, but we are deliberately allocating more of the available land to Enigma. Now, this is actually as much an outcome of these three varieties that we're axing being in Tasmania. It is priorities around our variety mix. So Enigma is only grown in Tasmania, whereas Galaxy is grown in, in both Victoria and Tasmania. Yep, cool. That answers that. James? Yeah, you mentioned in the report or in your notes around the report just that the, the quality of Enigma and Tasmanian-grown Cascade had also improved. Maybe you could just talk to what, that, what that's going to actually mean in practice. Yeah, so uh, we, we judge uh, quality on both yield and what we think is uh, impact in beer. Um, we judge that by the uh, amount of total oils captured for a given crop year. Both uh, Cascade and Enigma performed really well this year. Enigma um, actually had a record uh, oil content this year. Cascade came in just under last year's total oils, but the yield of Cascade this year was really, really pleasing. So 
I think both of these hops are benefiting from some more detailed and stringent investigation on farm techniques such as the timing of, for want of a better word, for timing of weeding and fertilising and stringing and training. So all the on-farm techniques that go into standing up a crop of hops uh, there's many, many variables, uh, pretty similar to making a beer. There's a thousand things you do in a day making a batch of beer. So it is on the farm as well, growing a crop of hops. So we've had some, yeah, we've had some consistent increases in, in yields and what we think is uh, our lead indicator on impact in beer. So I'm particularly looking forward to seeing some of the 2017 Enigma hitting beers throughout the year and seeing that lovely white grape fruit-driven profile shining through. So it's not a case of brewers will just be using less of it to get the same result. It will actually show through in in greater aromatics. Yeah, I think so. It's very hard to pin down in a quantitative sense. But I think the bang for buck issue is real. You know, higher oil doses per gram of of hop into a beer um, does make an impact. And uh, and even harder to pin down is that subjective sensory impact where the quality, the subjective quality of a hop uh, increases or, or or fluctuates very slightly based on the um, on the crop year. So there's quite a bit that goes into that, and it's a very, like I say, a very hard subject to pin down. But I'm very much looking forward to seeing how some of these hops perform out there this year. OJ HPA 035. Do you want us <laughs> yeah. to run a competition or something on Brews News? Name that hop or. <laughs> <laughs> Well, there was one important omission in the uh, list of hops to meet the maker this year, and uh, the fourth one is 035. So we're actually going to grub out 035 as well and make room for planting up of another experimental variety. So basically what we're saying there is after three years available in, in a few tonnes, we haven't really seen the uptake in a commercial setting. People are happy to trial it. They seem to like the hop. People say it's got a lot of potential, but no one's for want of a better term again, no one's putting their money where their mouth is and, and stumping up for 035. So we've taken the decision to move on and uh, plant up our next most advanced experimental cultivar. Uh, for those who visited us out on the farms this year, they'll have seen, especially the garden in uh, in Victoria, Ross Trevor, uh, six or eight varieties in a, in a showcase block featuring our most advanced experimentals. Uh, we'll, we'll select one of I think there's about 10 leading varieties. We'll select one of those and plant it up into a hectare or so of the farm and, um, yeah, make that available. Uh, I think the timing's probably the 2019 harvest, just given the lag in uh, grubbing out, planting, you know, the impact of first year and a proper harvest in second year. Uh, that's interesting because we spoke, uh, Matt and I spoke a, a couple of weeks ago about the, the improvements in, you know, going from experimental cultivar stage to being commercially available. And I think we might have even spoken when we first spoke to you when you first moved to HPA. And I think we used Galaxy again as the example, 2007 Cascade First Harvest, I think it may have appeared in before it was called Galaxy. And that at that stage was, I'm, I'm thinking, somewhere between five and seven years from, from when it sort of, you know, was conceived as an idea. How's it improved and what sort of things are you doing to, I guess, increase the, uh, the efficiency of, of the experiments? Yeah, that's a good example because Galaxy was crossed in 1994 and it wasn't commercialised till 2009. So, you know, you're looking around the 15-year mark for a hop as important as Galaxy to come through. Now, obviously that's complicated by the fact that, uh, you know, craft hadn't really kicked off here in Australia and and uh, our, our breeding program was still selecting for high alpha and, and our well-established 
you know, sensory trial programs were looking for no difference rather than interesting difference. So I guess if you were to talk to some of the things we've changed in our breeding program or our selection process rather than the actualities of the breeding program, definitely a shift in the criteria to screen on uh, you know, sensory interest and difference and impact rather than just on the chemical statistics of uh, growing alpha, which the business used to be based on. I guess our uh, our efficiency in selecting the right cultivar to go forward with, <laughs> given that we're about to grub 035 out, I think we are making improvements there. And we're making improvements there by getting material out into brewers' hands more frequently and in better quantities and allowing HPA to see some of these experimental cultivars in a wider range of beers backed up by more stringent, you know, trained taste panel work in base beer, you know, in a consistent light beer. So uh, low doses in a lighter beer, setting a very high bar to get over. But by increasing our exposure to the craft sort of section of a variety of beers, malt backbones, dose rates, dry hopping techniques, et cetera, et cetera, we get a much better, much more rounded perspective on what an individual hop can bring. So hopefully, you know, when we do go to make a decision about which hop gets commercialised next, we're, you know, we're, we're better informed and we, in that way, increase our probability of success. So the pressures, the pressures of commercialisation have changed. So, you know, rapid commercialisation comes with increased risk of failure. Uh, for us, that's at some expense. You know, HPO35 has occupied a hectare of the farm for three years. It's not going to go forward. This is not without expense for us. So, so for us, risk mitigation really does come through extensive testing, both in the breeding program for its chemical and agronomic parameters and how to grow it best, but also out in the market as well. So it's well vetted for its sensory qualities before we make decisions around it. So for us, the exciting thing to, to, to talk about now is, I guess, the, the next commercial variety is in the ground currently. We might not have yet decided which one, but it exists in one of those eight or ten advanced varieties that we've planted up in the showcase blocks. So that's pretty exciting and, and really um, narrows down our efforts and, and in uh, screening out in the breweries and vetting for that sensory quality. And so that's just, so just a hop with a number at the moment, is it? Or Yes, yes, yes. It's a, they're all just numbered hops at the moment. There's uh, a whole, whole raft that people may have heard us talking about out on the farms and even had a rub and a sniff of in uh, brown paper bags. You know, they're uh, 027, uh, 033, 016. There's uh, an 035 in Victoria as well, uh, just to complicate matters. So, <laughs> so yeah, there's, there's a few out there. Hey, just out of interest, OJ, when you um, you you talk about you know, so 035 in, in Tassie is being grubbed out, does that just sort of end up on the compost heap or can, you know, people grab the rhizomes, obviously not a whole hectare worth of it, but, you know, just, you know, for breweries to perhaps grow ornamental hops or something in their beer gardens or what happens to it? Yeah, we do have a policy around that. You know, as, as our company's IP, we aren't keen to give away experimental cultivars. In some ways, they're triploid. They're not actually viable in a reproductive sense. So we're not giving anyone uh, insight into our the stage at which our breeding program is at, the genetic diversity we've generated. But at the same time, it is a it is a, a very expensive investment for us, and we won't be handing that over. So <laughs> I'm sure people understand that. In terms of the actual material, you know, we won't uh, burn that unique genetic uh, outcome. That'll go back into the program 
we'll know quite a bit about it clearly, but the odds of it ever being planted up again are very, very low. But as a hop that we know a lot about now, and that really, I mean, just like Galaxy, uh, maybe the trends turn around and uh, an 035 finds favour or a hop like 035 would suit, you know, a different time and a different trend. Maybe we, uh, maybe it does get a chance to come back out of the cupboard. So we won't lose so, the genetics. We'll just, so it could, uh, it could we'll so just kind of go out the plants. Yeah, it could kind of like you know, there's a potential for it to go out to stud later on, and you know, perhaps become part of another, you know, uh, crossbreed or a hybrid. Yeah, not necessarily O three five, just based on the on the genetic uh, makeup of that hop, but uh, we definitely its parents are the important part of that combination. So by investigating O three five, we know more and more about the parents that went into making that cross. And we can cross those, you know, as much or as little as we like. And I would say that the more we know about a parent combination, the more likely we are to go back and cross them again because we get a springboard into possible outcomes and insights into agronomics and which sector of the flavour profile the, the progeny might sit in. Hopefully that makes sense. Yeah, 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 no, for sure. And, and listen, just on that, OJ, is it still kind of the, the situation where it's a kind of a hand-in-hand marriage situation between the hop growers, particularly in the in these developmental varieties and the, I guess, the brewing uh, community as a whole, or is there one sort of driving the other? So are you making the hops that you hope people will, or the, the types of beer will demand, or are the brewers sort of saying, we want hops with this, that and the other, or is it kind of, let's work together? Yeah, it's a complex picture there. Um, there's, definitely, there's definitely a lot of work together. We definitely get a lot of feedback from brewers, you know, uh, asking if we can target a particular profile. Our ability to target a profile comes down to what we know about the parents that we're going to cross to go toward that. Now, we're not in the dark completely. Obviously, we know outcomes like Galaxy and Ella and Topaz, big secret. You know, we know the parents that went into them. Some of them even share the same mother. We're, she's a well-characterised breeding hop. You know, that's, so that gives us some... Um, some targeted direction in terms of achieving a brewer's request for a profile. I don't think we've got an example of that actually going all the way through to a commercialisation just currently. On the flip side, we, in our screenings, you know, if we're going to rate a, a new hop on difference and intensity and, and overall appeal, you know, that's where we start to narrow down the screening. So we don't even pin a hop down to whether it's you know, red berries or it's spices or it's tropical fruit until way down the process. All we'll look for initially is intense, different, appealing. You know, these are quite yeah. broad umbrellas, obviously. So there's there's a mixture. That answer is um, convoluted. It is not a simple task. And the other thing I guess we pick up without direct conversation with brewers, what we do pick up and, and learn from are the trends in people's acceptance of a hop. So, you know, the citrus fruit-driven are the most accepted profile currently. The most successful hops out there, if you were to list the six most popular hops in the world, they have 10 out of 10 impact in beer. You know, these are these are things that we are very conscious of and potentially you could say that we can't ignore what the evidence of the consumer trends are. So, you know, in terms of fruit forward, 10 out of 10 impact in beer, these are almost uh, in the current setting this is almost what you have to have to have a commercially viable hop <laughs> yep no beautifully answered we heard oj when we had jason perrault from select botanicals group in yakima valley earlier this year about a hop that has some very unusual aroma characteristics in that it actually apparently it convinces people that 
the beer's actually been barrel aged. Is there anything that you're seeing, you know, in the experimental varieties that you've got currently that's vastly different to anything that HPA currently has on the market in terms of the aroma characters? Uh, yes, there are um, there are sort of uh, some outliers in our program. Yeah, there's I mean there's there's, there's one that uh, uh, you know much in line with that hop breeding company variety, the HBC. Uh, I can't remember the code for it now. The the barrel aged one. Uh, you know, it doesn't immediately sound appealing for use in every recipe. We've we've got one that's uh, a bit like mango yogurt, and it's it's uh, <laughs> the first time I first time I even heard a, a hop described as mango yogurt. I thought, well, you can keep that one. It's uh, it's not going to be no good to anyone. But then <laughs> I've got to suspend my thinking along those lines because we are looking for difference. We are looking for things that a, a, a humble brewer like myself has a very narrow paradigm of beer style and raw material inputs, etc. I don't know everything about every beer. There are brewers out there who would hear mango yogurt and go, sweet as a nut, I can use that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm thinking there's a lot of kettle sours around these days that, that probably <laughs> might work quite well in. <laughs> exactly, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And instead of the Yakima Valley, we could you know, rename it the Yakult Valley. <laughs> oh dear, see how they go with that. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, look, there are some interesting there are some interesting characters out there in amongst the uh, in amongst the hops, and I think the subtlety of the differences. We can talk about fruit forward, but and and as you yeah, the listeners might be able to visualise the hop flavour spectrum that HPA released many years ago. Now, there's just one fruit axis. Now, where a hop in particular lies on the fruit axis can have all sorts of subtleties and complexities in it. And that, for me, is, uh, is I think, where some really interesting developments can happen and some beers can uh, present unique flavour profiles in their detail but still fall under that really high consumer-accepted, you know, fruit-forward, citrusy sort of sector. So... Yeah, I don't know if we have to come completely off the wall with uh, barrel-aged and, and yogurt, but, but I think there's a lot of uh, interesting hops out in our profile that um, that'll find many good homes. OJ, one issue that I've heard being knocked around just in the last few weeks is just around efficient hop use. When Ken Grossman from Sierra Nevada was out here, you know, in Good Beer Week, he made the comment on our panel, there are extreme uses of hops that are probably less than efficient. How do you more efficiently extract what you want out of the hop without wasting the hop? Given that we're talking about there not being, you know, loads of galaxy to play with at the moment, is that an issue that you think should be on the agenda for brewers in Australia? Yeah, look, uh, tongue-in-cheek, let's not forget that I'm in the business of selling as much hop as possible, so, uh, you know, feel free to chuck it straight in the top of the tank, that's fine. Um, <laughs> but, but that said, uh, yes, I think it is, in general, sort of diminishing returns on higher and higher dose rates. And, and for those people who want to really push their, their hop usage, I think the pressure and the, and the moral responsibility is on them to investigate best practice for achieving really, really high-intensity hop outcomes in the beer in the most efficient way. Simply throwing, you know, kilo after kilo per hectolitre into a dry hop over and over again, it might not be the best solution. You might be achieving what you want, but in a very inefficient way. So I think there are, and I think here in Australia with the, what is it, the average age of a brewery here in Australia is like two and a half years or something silly at the moment. There's a lot of learning that can take place in the Australian industry about uh, not just dry hopping in a in a wider sense, but your brewery, your kit, your recipe, your hop bill, 
and how you achieve your profile the most efficiently. I think people are starting to sort of become aware and more ready to investigate the different permutations and the variables that go into an effective dry hopping, for instance. So yeah, I think Ken Grossman's very right that we should be looking at this and it should be top of mind, especially for the guys out on the top end of the dose rates. Do your R&D in your setting make sure you're happy that you're not too far down the diminishing returns and of your high dose rates. So yeah, I think there is some pressure on brewers out there. Short of trial and error in their own breweries, is it worth brewers perhaps uh, speaking to other brewers with a, say, you know, similar sort of size brew length? Is it something that can be brought up at the uh, the Craft Brewers Conference coming up in Adelaide next month? Is there material around? Obviously, you know, we don't want to send them to you because you're not going to say, yes, use, use fewer hops. Um, but <laughs> are there other resources around how do brewers, I guess, you know, suck it and see? Yeah, look, uh, definitely have a chat to your neighbour. Find someone's beer that you love that's not your own and uh, go up and pat them on the back and say, that's an excellent beer. You know, I'm having trouble getting that crack of, of dry hop in there. How do you how do you achieve that profile if you're willing to share? And you'll find most people are... Um, as long as you're buying a beer, most people are willing to share some insight into how they go about it. And uh, certainly I've been very lucky in this role at HPA to travel around many, many breweries and see many, many different versions of dry hopping and, and hop use in breweries. And there is such a variety of methodology out there. I guess once you become aware of, of all the ways or the variables at which you can manipulate, then it's about doing your own R&D in your brewery. So, yeah, definitely have a conversation with other brewers and, and get a clear picture of what you need to achieve and, and start working on it. Well, OJ, congratulations on this year's harvest and thanks again for coming back and being our very own Mr Meeks, to use the old uh, trading places analogy that I think we might have busted out last year as well. But uh, OJ, Clarence Meeks, we uh, thank you very much for your time again on Radio Brews News. Thanks, guys. Thanks, thanks OJ. Brews News is made possible by Brewpack, Australia's number one craft contract brewer. With over 100 craft beers and ciders on the roster and counting, Brewpack specialises in offering growing craft breweries a home for their packaged and kegged beer, no matter how crafty. Serious about handmade beers and with an open-door policy, Brewpack's brewers love having passionate, hands-on partners in the brewery. Thinking about craft contract brewing? Think Brewpack. And uh, yes, we thank Brewpack for not only making a whole lot of great craft beers possible, but also for making this podcast possible. James. Prof, you got anything further? No, 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 that's covered all of my notes. Yeah, I, I know, that's I like think, 40 minutes, God. No one is no listening by now. We're letting you off easy. <laughs> Imagine how long it would be if Matt was here. <laughs> oh, yeah, well, you don't need just got through the first question. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's asking the first question. Yeah. <laughs> Keep that in, Freya. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's going in as an Easter egg over the end credits. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect.